listening to the Take Back Podcast, where women of color creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pillay, an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And I'm Angelica Dianda, a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back systems designed against them. Welcome back to the Take Back Podcast. I'm Jess Pillay, and I'm here with my co-host, Angelica Dianda. And this week, we have a very special additional co-host with us, Sam Cook-Stunts. Welcome, Sam. Hello. So good to have you. (laughs) So for those of you who are stumbling upon this podcast episode for whatever reason, Sam is usually the guy who's behind the scenes, so you don't usually hear him. And for those of you who have been listening for the last 13 episodes, you've probably heard us reference Sam before. He's our amazing sound engineer and audio engineer and the guy who kind of runs everything behind the scenes to make sure that this show sounds its best. But today we wanted to bring him into the limelight for this very special season finale episode, episode 14. But before we get into the meat of the conversation, Angelica and I wanted to take a moment and make a very important and bittersweet announcement. Um, If you've been following us on Instagram, you've probably already seen this because we just made an announcement about it there. But today is not only our season finale, but also our final episode. That's right. This is the last episode of the Take Back podcast. Uh, We won't bore you listeners with the nitty gritty details of why we made this decision. Um, We may talk about it a little bit more on social media and our email list if you're on that. But essentially what it all boils down to is it is a lot of work, a lot of work (laughs) to produce a high quality podcast. And this year has come with some unexpected challenges for the two of us and kind of just realizing that we don't really have the bandwidth to do this Mm -hmm. at this point. And, you know, we're both doing a lot of other work and things outside of this. This is not our full-time profession. And so it's time to let it go. But yeah, what would you like to add? You know, it's sometimes making a decision like this is not easy, but it's something that I'm feeling calm and at peace about. Um, And kind of like what Jess said is, you know, we wanted to come into this project putting our best effort forward because we wanted to do justice to the stories that we tell on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But just like she said, with everything that we juggle in our lives, we just didn't have the bandwidth. And at no point did we want to let the quality of our podcast take a hit. So like I said, these decisions are not easy, but I am so incredibly thankful to have this experience. This was a dream of mine to be a podcaster. And now I can say, you did it. I did it. I did it. (laughs) And and, uh, what better way to do it with my best friend? So I just want to take a minute to say thank you. I am so incredibly humbled for all the people that have supported us throughout this journey. Every single listener, every single guest that gave us the honor to allow Jess and I to interview them. Very much so. Our wonderful team that supported us. Our team. I'm going to miss our team the most. Me too. Me too. I mean, we're lucky that they're local, but 
I am so incredibly, incredibly thankful for them because without them, uh, I think that we would have probably lost some more hairs <laughs> from her head. And of course, I don't want to forget our friends and our family members who have been cheering us along from the sidelines from day one from the birth of this concept of our podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this journey with us. We also want to share some final thoughts towards the end of the episode, as well as on our social media about our decision. But for now, we want to spend the next few minutes chatting with our dear friend, Sam. Yay! Yay! Something that's so incredibly vital in the work of racial equity, or really any type of work revolving around systemic change is having some reliable allies, people from what's considered the privileged group or groups who are willing to partner with those who are typically considered marginalized to break down those systems of injustice that exist. We've been very intentional about centering the stories of women of color creatives here on this podcast. But for today, we wanted to take some time to talk with you, Sam, about your experience listening to and editing these conversations, and how this impacts your life and the work that you do as a member of the creator economy. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. We're so glad you're here. It's fun to actually hear your voice on this. (laughs) I mean, I hear your voice all the time just because we talk a lot, but to have you in this context. um, But I'm usually saying things like, hey, can you say that again so I can make sure the compressor's at the (laughs) right right level? Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about your work for a second. You are a music producer and a musician. And for anybody who doesn't know this, also a white man. I'm just confirming that. (laughs) Um, I am. (laughs) You're also college educated. You're a homeowner. You have all these great things going for you. And you're somebody that, you know, this system that we've spent 13 episodes talking about, you would be, I would argue, somebody that the system benefits. Would Mm -hmm. you concur yes, with that? definitely. Yeah. And yet I remember even when this idea first came to be and I pitched it to you and said, I think I'm going to start this podcast. I have this idea. And, you know, we had had a conversation about this whole idea of the system and how it often doesn't support and value women of color specifically. You could have done the thing that a lot of white folks do, which is gaslight and be like, hmm. Yeah, I don't believe that or I don't want to have anything to do with that. And yet instead, you jumped right in and you said, I love this idea. I think you should do it. I'm even willing to support you and help you bring it to life. So my question is, why is that? Why did you decide that you wanted to be involved with the Take Back podcast? I mean, first of all, I just enjoy working with both of you. So, you know. Whatever whatever you had wanted to do a podcast about, I would have been happy to help. If you'd wanted to do a podcast about orcas, which in Jess's case would be <laughs> very, very plausible, I would have been happy to do sound for that one as well. But um, but yeah, in terms of, I mean, this podcast specifically, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm a musician and a music producer, and I've been lucky enough to have collaborated with, you know, a number of really, really talented um, musicians who are also women of color. And so, you know, some of the things that you were bringing up as the reasons for wanting to start this podcast, just conversations around the ways that the system treats women of color differently and challenges they face in becoming professional or hobby artists that maybe white people don't face as often. I've, you know, I've heard some of my clients talk about those same things. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, why didn't I respond by gaslighting or denying that it was true? It's Mm -hmm. like, I've, I've already heard so many people confirm the things that you're talking about that, Mm. you know, it's not difficult for me to believe that they're real because I have not experienced 
experienced them personally as a white person, but I've heard friends of mine and people I love and care about talk about them all the time. And so it's clear that those issues are important, that they're hurting a lot of people. And I mean, I thought it was valid when you guys were both talking about how you did a fair amount of research into other podcasts that existed and found Mm -hmm. that, you know, there weren't too many other people having this specific conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fact that it's an important conversation that affects a lot of people coupled with the fact that not as many other people were having it meant that it was clear that this was a really important project that you wanted to undertake. And so if there was some even little way I could help bring it to life, I was happy to. Little way. Little way. It was way more than <laughs> little. You did so much for us. You've done so much for us. And yeah. so, you know, thank you. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have made it this far no, without you. No, we really wouldn't. So. I mean, we are literally right now in his studio yeah. <laughs> recording this episode. Yeah. So, um, Yeah, that's cool. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Well, Sam, you touched on this about hearing stories from working with creatives who are also people of color, but also hearing from me and Jess and some other friends of yours that are people of color, just their stories of just the different ways that they've encountered a lot of oppressive symptoms. And as you know, for us women of color and honestly, just people of color, we often face involuntary silence. Mm-hmm. I know for myself and Jess, we've often talked about how we are constantly being told that we shouldn't take up so much space or that we should follow a certain set of rules in terms of how we communicate, how we express ourselves, or to be a little bit more palatable to our white counterparts. So what was it like for you to have to sit in silence Mm. And to be in listening mode for 13 episodes. Yeah. I mean, first of all, for anyone who knows me, I'm a chatterbox, so it's not (laughs) always easy to get me to shut up. But being able to be involved in this project from a listening standpoint, you know, as the person sometimes physically in the other room with headphones on, just listening to the conversation happen, you know, not being the one participating... It's been interesting because just the breadth of life experiences that were discussed on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like you said, I'm a musician and a number of the guests you've interviewed are also musicians. And so those conversations just on kind of a nerdy level, it was hard for me to not want to speak up and just kind of, you know, jump in and, you know, geek out with these people over interests that we have in common. Right. And then, you know, there are other people who are in lines of work that I'm are much less familiar to me. Like you've obviously, you know, had people who are authors, you know, who've written books, novels, um, people who are content creators, YouTubers, um, visual artists, you know, which are all arenas that I'm less familiar with. And so with those conversations, especially, it was fascinating just to sit back and hear people talk about a corner of the world that I'm not familiar with and, mm-hmm. you know, and industries that I'm not familiar with. So, yeah, I think it, it was it was sort of a more purposeful exercise, reminding myself to sit back and not speak up when you were talking to people who were talking about things that I'm familiar with because, you know, a lot of white people's predisposition is to jump in and center a conversation around themselves when the conversation involves Mm -hmm. something that they consider themselves to be authorities on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not even that I consider myself to be an authority on music. It's just whenever people are talking about music, I probably have thoughts and I probably have stories I want to share. And so it was kind of a useful exercise to have that impulse to want to insert myself in the conversation and to remember like, no, you know, this, Mm -hmm. this isn't a forum where, where the conversation is meant to be centered around me. In fact, it's specifically designed to be a forum to be centered around people other than me. That was interesting and I think just a useful thing for me that, or I guess I would say it's a a tendency that I don't always practice. Mm -hmm. And so it was useful to have kind of, you know, a built-in opportunity to remind myself like, nope, this is a good time to just sit back and let other people talk and learn from them. 
And you know what's so interesting to hear you say that is that is our life experience. Mm -hmm. That is how we live. Right. We always go into every single situation having to ask ourselves, should I open my mouth? Right. Right. Well, and not only that, but constantly going to situations and sitting in discomfort. And that's yep. just our, our normal life experience, our day to day. And right. Sam, I just love that you acknowledge, you know, as a white man, just often being able to speak up and to say things and mm-hmm. uh, centering conversations around your thoughts and ideas and to be in a position where in this creative project, you had that kind of omitted and taken away and you had to sit and listen to really difficult stories. Sure. And can I just tell you, Sam, that you did it with such grace. And even afterwards, when we would debrief um, each of the episodes, like just your insights and comments that you made to me and Jess was just really very thoughtful. And I'm glad that I can consider you a friend and an ally. Yeah. And you know, one thing you said, I remember early on when we were maybe doing our first episode even in recording right here in the studio, you asked me the question, if at any point you need me to step out because the conversations are so personal, let me know. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me because Mm -hmm. nobody ever asked that question. they don't. You know, and I I almost didn't know how to respond when you even said that because I was like, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I get to make that decision? What? You know? But yeah, I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about having that forced silence and what what that did to your sort of thought patterns and having to decide, oh, I think I have something to say, but I ha- I know it's not my place to say something. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's literally our day-to-day existence. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a work meeting or in church or, you know, mm-hmm. other contexts that I've been in where I'm like, ooh, I really want to say something right. about the racial lens mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is being represented or not represented here. Right. But I know if I do... It's going to open up some stuff that people in this room are not ready right. to hear. Right. So it's just fascinating to hear you now as somebody who is privileged having to make that assessment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you've now stepped into our shoes a little bit in right. that sense. Yeah. In, in, a, in admittedly a very, very small and very, you know, kind of artificially imposed way. Sure. And that's obviously the biggest difference is that in the case of the podcast, this was all a 100% like mutually voluntary arrangement. Sure. Where, right. you know, I was stepping into it knowing that the concept was that this is a show that's going to be centered around the voices of women of color and that mm-hmm. I'm working on it in a technical capacity and I'm not here to, you know, have my voice elevated and centered. And the situations you're describing, I get the sense are not not, that's not usually a voluntary arrangement. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. not usually walking into those situations thinking like, like, oh, I'm willingly going into this work meeting knowing that my voice is not meant to be the focus. Mm-hmm. It's just that's something that's imposed on you. And yeah. so I guess that's something I've been conscious of even doing the podcast is that this is just a very, very tiny microcosm of that situation mm-hmm. for sure. a lot of other people. Yeah. Well, Sam, I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about how the stories that we shared, how they inspired or challenged you on your own outlook or perspective. Yeah. I mean, kind of like I like I was saying earlier, I think just by virtue of the fact that I'm I'm in a very specific line of work that I do, you know, music and audio production and things like that, I think it's sometimes easier to have an entry point into an issue if the person you're hearing from has something in common with you, whether it's they work in your line of work or they share an interest. So I think some of the perspectives that I found most initially helpful as entry points were the people you were speaking to who do similar work to me. So mm-hmm. um, the conversation you did with um, Sherry Lynn was mm-hmm. 
especially I think really interesting because she obviously does a lot of the same things I do. Like she's a phenomenal music producer, musician, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter. You know, she is kind of in the same corner of the arts than I am. And so some of the stories that she was sharing, and I actually, I had a couple conversations with her even after the episode about this, but some of the, you know, stories she was sharing involved situations that I could routinely find myself in, which is, you know, conversations she's had with, white male producers when she's been in the studio for a recording project, possibly where she was the only non-white person in the studio. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just talking about passive aggressive or kind of unintentionally bigoted comments that someone would make that maybe the per the white person in question didn't even realize that they were saying something insensitive. Mm. And, you know, maybe they wouldn't remember the exchange five minutes later, but it stuck with her enough that, you know, she was able to recall it easily on the podcast years later. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think especially hearing stories about closed-minded behavior that have taken place in the types of rooms that I routinely find myself in, I think were, like, challenging and thought-provoking for me because, you know, I just found myself thinking, okay, the conversations that she's describing are conversations that I could be having with clients. And so right. it kind of made me stop and think about, okay, are any of these things that she's describing things that I have maybe unintentionally said to someone, not realizing mm -hmm. that I was saying something insensitive or... Are any of the assumptions that she says that people have made about her, are mm -hmm. those assumptions that I find myself unknowingly or unintentionally making about clients of mine who aren't white or, mm -hmm. you know, who aren't men? You know, and then taking that and trying to put myself in the shoes of other guests of yours who, like I said, work in industries that I'm less familiar with, but it's easy for me to imagine, okay, you know, I'm not an author, but it's easy for me to imagine the same conversation happening between, you know, a woman of color who's an author and a publisher who's a white man, yeah. you know, and just thinking, you know, okay, well, if I were in that man's position, what could I easily find myself saying that would be hurtful to someone in this other person's position? Which is so important because what you're describing really is allyship mm -hmm. and I, it's active allyship because I think a lot of people take that word that's kind of become a buzzword in the racial right. justice racial equity space where it's like I think any white person out there you know nobody wants to think of themselves as racist nobody wants to think of themselves as someone who isn't truly an ally to mm -hmm. to their BIPOC counterparts and one thing I've really noticed and realized is it takes work and it takes that intentional self-reflection and so I really appreciate, Sam, that you've been willing to do that self-reflection. And I've seen this in other contexts, too, not just in the context of this podcast. But I think it's one of the reasons that you and I are such close friends is because not only do we work really well together in a professional capacity when it comes to doing music and doing the podcast, but I can have hard, real conversations with you where I share stuff I've experienced as a woman of color. And your response to that is to say, what's my role in this? Mm -hmm. You know, you ask those questions. So many people are just like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then don't want to do anything beyond that. Yeah. They think that that's enough. And it's not enough. That's not what allyship really is, right? Allyship is coming alongside and being actively involved right. in tearing down the system. Well, it's taking that privilege that you walk into spaces not realizing that you have and taking a minute to acknowledge, oh, wait, I do have it. Mm -hmm. And what do mm -hmm. I do about it? Right. Which is where a lot of people get stuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. They, they do. You know, so we've spent the whole podcast talking to women of color and about women of color and the things that we are doing collectively to take back the system. And there's a flip side to that, right? As our mm -hmm. allies 
white folks have to be willing to do work to tear down the system that they've created and benefited from. So Sam, some questions for you. What are you doing to develop your knowledge when it comes to being an ally? Like, what does that mean to you? What are some steps that you've been taking in your life to say, I'm going to do that self-reflection and actually become an active participant in tearing down these systems? Sure. I mean, I think one of the most profound things I've heard someone say about the idea of allyship, I forget where I first heard this exchange, but it was, I think, you know, a conversation between a white person and a person of color. And the white person kept referring to themselves as an ally, kept affirmatively saying, you know, well, you know, I'm an ally as an ally, you know, speaking as an ally. Mm -hmm. And at one point, the other person kind of gently told them something like, as a white person, you don't get to self-designate as an ally. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't get to decide whether or not you're an ally. The people who you are working to help are the ones who get to decide whether you're an ally. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically like, that's the notion that, you know, that that's not a title that someone can just decide to give themselves. Right. It's, sure. it's a label or a designator that's earned. And so mm-hmm. I think one thing I've tried to do, this is, it's maybe a minor semantic thing, but one thing I've tried to do is not to call myself an ally, but just to say, I want to be an ally or mm-hmm. I, I am trying to be an ally because it it's not ultimately up to me whether or not I am. It's up to the people that I am proposing reportedly trying to, you know, work to help and the causes that I'm hopefully working to bring attention to, it's up to Mm -hmm. those people to decide whether I'm actually doing that in an appropriate and substantive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think to any white people who like to call themselves allies, I think that's an important and humbling thing to remember. Well, I can tell you this, you are an ally. (laughs) I can confirm that for sure. You definitely have been and you are. And I really appreciate that very humble kind of posture that you have in that. And then kind of speaking more in terms of the creative work that you do as a musician and a producer um, and as someone who collaborates pretty frequently with women of color, myself included, when it comes to music projects and the work that you do professionally. Do you have any like practical advice for other white or other, you know, privileged members of the creative sector on things that they can do to create more equity in their business practices and just in their interactions with BIPOC creators? Yeah, I mean, as far as interactions with BIPOC creators, um, I'm again going to refer to something Sherry Lynn said, because again, I've, I've actually had a couple conversations with her even following the episode about this. But mm-hmm. one thing when I was kind of asking, you know, her for advice, you know, as someone who has both been a producer and a client of producers, like, you know, I was asking her, like, what are some things that people in my position need to kind of be aware of and check themselves on? And I think one just very practical bit of advice she said was just don't make assumptions about people. Because she said, Mm -hmm. you know, women of color, especially in the studio, are so used to um, having their skills or their knowledge second guessed. And they're Mm -hmm. so used to producers and collaborators assuming that they know less about the thing in question than the white person does. So, you know, she was saying, like, even if you're working with someone and you don't think they know anything about production or the technical process of recording, microphones, preamps, compressors, all that stuff, you know, she said, just don't assume that the person you're working with is ignorant. You know, like, don't don't start explaining something to them in a way that makes it clear that you're assuming they don't know anything about it. Don't mansplain. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Industry splain. Right. right. And, 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 you know, and she said, you know, that's not to say that all women of color artists, you know, are knowledgeable about every area of the process. But it is to say that a lot of them are but are used to being treated like they're not. Yeah. And Mm. so, yeah. So she was saying even just start by asking questions like before launching into an explanation of something, just ask the person you're working with, like, you know, hey, are you you know, are you involved in the technical side of music at all? Like, what's your experience with, you know, recording equipment, things like that? 
And if they make it clear, oh, that's not really my area of expertise. Yeah. Could you explain it a little to me? Then you can go into it. But Mm -hmm. if it becomes clear that the person's like, oh, yeah, I have a home studio and I've been recording and mixing music for 10 years, you know, then you don't need to explain something to them like they don't understand it because they may very well understand it a lot better than you do. You know, things like that. I think she also said just, you know, trying to read the room, you know, like if you're Mm -hmm. if you as a white person are launching into an impassioned rant about, you know, something that's maybe very important to you or you're spending 10 minutes talking about this new, really amazing piece of recording equipment that you got and you can kind of see that the person you're working with just isn't really feeling the conversation or you're not you're not really in territory that is you know as interesting to them sort of see if you can shift the conversation to something that they are just as passionate about as you you know so maybe you know maybe a client I'm working with doesn't care about different microphones but is really really excited about different kinds of instruments because Mm -hmm. they're they're a multi-instrumentalist and that's kind of where their character and their personality shines once you figure that out you know try to center the conversation around that and I feel like One thing I've noticed on this podcast is you can see something happen when someone gets asked about something that they don't normally get a chance to talk about. Mm -hmm. There's just like you can even hear it, even though you can't see them. You can almost hear them like lighting up and kind of them being infused with this new kind of energy. Like, oh, you know, I I get to talk about this thing that I spend all this time thinking about. Like, that's that's really exciting. And I think in terms of practical advice, kind of on the business end, Another thing I think about a lot is I'm in a very privileged position in a lot of ways. One way that I'm, I think, even more privileged than a lot of people is, so I'm I'm very fortunate to have a spouse who is our household's full-time breadwinner. So my mm-hmm. wife is an economist. She has a PhD in economics. She's way smarter than I am. I'm okay She's admitting that. She's a badass, in other words. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I'm unbelievably fortunate that she has a job that's stable enough to support both of us. And so the music work that I do is not work that we're relying on to pay mortgage or mm-hmm. to pay bills or anything. So I'm in an unusually flexible position where my income from the music work that I do isn't the difference between us, you know, paying our bills or not paying our bills or Mm -hmm. us being able to get groceries. And so I think one implication of that is no matter who you're working with, if you're working with someone who is disadvantaged in some way, whether it's like socially disadvantaged or financially disadvantaged, I work with a lot of students who understandably don't have a ton of disposable income and don't usually have thousands of dollars to blow on music projects that may or may not recoup their costs. If you're working with people who you can maybe tell have some disadvantage within the industry or just within society in general, Mm -hmm. and there's some small way that you can make the process more accessible to them, Mm. especially if you're in a lucky enough position that doing that will not affect your livelihood at all, then it's good to go out of your way to try to make opportunities accessible to more people. So yeah. so if you're a producer and you're approached by a client who you can tell is really passionate about music, this mm-hmm. is, you know, something they love doing, they really really want to get their music out into the world, but maybe they don't have an extremely well-paying job or mm-hmm. they don't have an extremely flexible time arrangement. They can't afford to like take a week off and spend a solid week working. You know, just maybe try to find ways to be flexible to accommodate them, yeah. especially if you're in a position where, you know, knocking $200 off of the cost of their recording project won't be the difference between you being able to pay rent or not, but it might be the difference between them being able to make this music or not yeah, make it. Right. Totally. And so I would say to anyone who's fortunate enough to be in a position where they have that kind of flexibility, it's good to acknowledge that and it's good to find ways to, I would say, extend that privilege to people who might not have it. Mm-hmm. If you can be even just one link in the chain that makes it a little easier for their work to get done and to get out into the world then maybe go out of your way more than you normally would to make that happen. I love that. Round of applause for Sam. No, I love that advice so much because the number one advice that I've been given by white men 
when it comes to financing my own music projects is don't let money be an obstacle. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, what are you doing to help make money not be an obstacle? Right. right? And you just address that so beautifully. So thank you for sharing that very practical advice. I feel like we need to make this little bit a soundbite so that it can get onto (laughs) social media and everywhere else because this is a conversation that most people are not having. And I think it's so important because I cannot, I just really like, I cannot tell you how many times Mm -hmm. the whole, well, if, if you really care about it, if you're really passionate about it, money's not going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. You'll find the money to do it. And I'm like, do you know how to do math? Because right. I only yeah. make so much right. and have these bills to pay. So and we live in the most one of the most expensive places in the exactly. nation. Exactly. Like, that's right. Real. <laughs> yeah. You, you want you want to just be like, yeah, I'm passionate about music. You know what else I'm passionate about? Not being homeless yeah. and being able to eat this week. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm right. also I'm also passionate about not going broke if I get sick. Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. There are, there are a million other things I have to consider besides just the cost of this music project. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Sam, for doing the work and putting that in place and and taking those steps to, again, to tear down the system. As women of color, it's our job to take it back. And as white privileged folks, it's your jobs to tear it down. Mm -hmm. Tear it down and then elevate. Yes. So absolutely. Thank you, Sam. I really, really appreciate that little nugget, that little it's so practical i mean it really is and so needed thank thank you both i really appreciate it yeah anything else you want to add or say to our listeners or to our team or to anybody who might be listening to this Um, episode i mean to the team just you already covered it earlier everybody who's worked on this podcast is amazing and i i want to affirm for anyone listening who has never worked on a podcast and doesn't know how much work goes in behind the scenes i mean the amount of effort that Justin and Helica and also Steph and Daniel um, also, you know, put in behind the scenes there, you know, you haven't even heard their voices on the podcast, but they've both worked an insane number of hours, you know, Mm. getting, you know, getting content ready for social media, you know, reviewing episodes, you know, helping edit the episodes, you know, helping work out organizational plans for us to do things behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, just a lot of hours every week go into doing a podcast like this and everybody involved in it was doing it because they believed in the topic and they believed Mm -hmm. in the messages and in getting the voices of these guests that we've had out there. So yeah. So I would just say, you know, it's been a privilege to work with everyone who's worked on this and it's been eye opening for me. It's I think an an experience that I had never had. I had never worked on a podcast before doing this. Mm -hmm. And so that's been both educational and really, really enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, none of us had. We all learned yeah. together. Learned on the fly. Learn, learning totally. on the spot is exciting. Yeah. yeah. But truly nobody better to do it with than the folks on our team. I mm-hmm. 100% agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sam, for letting us get your voice on a microphone for once and sharing your perspective. I think it's an important one, and I hope it's really valuable to our listeners. Okay, so one of the things that we wanted to do is spend a little bit of time, Angelica, you and I, just reflecting on this experience. Yeah. So one of my questions is, what surprised you the most about this experience? You know, Sam did talk about how it's a lot of work. That was, I think, one of our biggest surprises when we got Mm -hmm. really into this, because in the beginning, we're like, we got this. We can do a podcast. We were even talking about like once a week episodes. And then it was like, oh, no, that ain't happening. (laughs) Well, I think that's the one thing that really stood out was just 
Oh my goodness. People do not realize the amount of work that goes into doing a podcast. A good podcast. <laughs> well, right. And I would say this, I don't want to toot our, you know, collective horn here, but I really do think that we produce such a high quality podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And in order to do that, does take, I mean, the ins and the outs of just what is entailed, like it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. I still feel like I'm still learning even now, just hearing the bits and pieces of just what each of our members of our team has done. And we're like at the end of the the end. I know, which I was just like, how is this possible? But with all that, you know, is the flip side of when you put so much of your heart, your time, your money, um, Mm -hmm. your energy into producing such a high quality product is sometimes if you're not really careful, it could lead into burnout. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that in our last episode, Izzy talked about this, but I mean, the timing of this is actually really funny because as I was listening to that, I was like kind of feeling called out. (laughs) But but it's so true. And what's so incredibly important was to have balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the things that I was not anticipating that was going to be a takeaway from our experience is like, shit, like, Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, I was like, oh, there's that old, old friend, you know, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> don't sing burnout. that because we don't have the right to that shit. <laughs> but yes, here comes burnout, our old friend, yeah. which is so ironic, right? Because we've both experienced burnout in different ways in, in our life. And yeah, it's just like well, we sat here on these very microphones and talked to guests about what are they doing to not burn out? And then I burned myself <laughs> And here we are burning ourselves out. <laughs> Burning ourselves out, burning, you know, our candle on both ends. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really surprising. (laughs) And that's, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, I I don't want to do things like that. I didn't want you. I didn't want myself to do things that was going to leave us depleted. And well, and I'll tell you why I think we did burn out. It's the idea of the emotional weight of it all. You know, if we were a podcast where we just sat here every week and we analyzed Rachel Yamagata's music, for example, right. which would be a really cool podcast, by the way. You know, maybe, that's our next one. Maybe that's our next one. <laughs> Here we are editing a podcast and talking about doing another one. Right. I digress. Um, Anyways. <laughs> but, you know, if we were doing something like that, where it was just a little bit more fun and light. Yeah. I think that the burnout might not have come as early. Right. I think because we're holding and carrying. I mean, you deal with this daily as a therapist. I do. But like th- carrying the weight of these heavy, heavy, heavy stories and then having to like, in my case, at least, you know, editing them back, like listen to this stuff over and over right. and over again and process it and sometimes even be triggered by it right. as people are talking about their own experiences with racial injustice and bigotry and sexism and, you know, whatever else. It was a lot. And mm-hmm. so I kind of realized I'm really passionate about this work, but it goes back to what we've talked about so many times. Women of color, the people who are, you know, who are on the receiving end of that marginalization cannot always be the only ones trying to push the needle forward it really takes that allyship like we talked about earlier and the people who constructed these systems that have to work with us and even take the lead in a lot of cases um Mm -hmm. to, to tear these systems down and so i think for me it was like the burnout really was almost more of a response to the kind of emotional burden 
that we carried. And and it is. You know, it's interesting that you bring up uh, the comparison of like, well, maybe this feels a little bit different for you because of what I do professionally. In fact, just earlier this week, I had a client ask me like, how do you how do you every day for hours yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like hear all these stories? I mean, here I am like sharing my story with you. You know, I think with my work, um, because I've been doing it for so long, I'm able to compartmentalize it a little bit different. But, you know, with the take back, it was just so much more personal mm-hmm. because I, you know, we were interviewing people that we know, some friends, you know, I got to interview you, uh, you got to interview me and we just got real, real, like mm-hmm. real, not to say that people don't get real, real in therapy because, you know, that's the place to get real, real. Right. But there was just something so incredibly different about it because I was myself yeah. you know I didn't have to wear the therapist hat I just wore no hats right I was just mm-hmm. I came in this project just being myself being real being authentic and with that when you come in to something like this just being fully honest raw it does come with like it's a rubber band effect mm-hmm. and so it is something so incredibly important and I would hope that this podcast inspires you listeners to find the balance of caring for yourselves. I think the other thing that we noticed was the commonalities in the stories, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked to people from different locations, different ethnicities, different life experiences, different creative crafts, Mm -hmm. all these different things. And yet there were so many common threads Mm -hmm. that we found in each of those stories, right? Across all these different spectrums, which I thought was... It was eye-opening. It was eye-opening and it it helps me feel less alone. Yeah. I think. And that was the whole goal of this podcast was um, oftentimes as women of color creatives, we feel alone, right? We, We know logically that we're not alone, but sometimes when we're in it and doing the work, unless we have a really solid community around us, it can feel isolating and lonely sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so being able to listen to other amazing women of color creatives to kind of just share the highs and the lows of the work that they do, you know, I got to see a little bit of myself in them. Mm -hmm. And and it was kind of, it was really cool. Mm -hmm. It was really, really cool just knowing that, wow, we're really not alone, Mm -hmm. that there is a lot of commonalities between us and that we can continue to cheer each other on. Definitely. Yeah. And I think one thing that came out of this is like we now have a network of women of color all over the country. I know. From all over the place, East Coast, West Coast, in between that we can tap into and Mm -hmm. talk shop with when it comes to creative stuff and, you know, talk about how to deal with writer's block or production Mm -hmm. or content creation for YouTube or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, like all these things. It's like this little collective that we formed. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so another question that we asked our guests on nearly every episode in the final five and five uh-huh. was a question that we had not quite yet developed when we initially did our episodes right. when we interviewed each other and played that game. But it was favorite women of color owned businesses or brands that we each recommend. So I wanted to make sure before we closed out that you and I both had an opportunity to share some of our faves. So do you want to talk about yours first? Yeah. So I am a sucker for a good candle. I mean, maybe yes. call me a basic bitch, but, <laughs> but I love a good candle. So um, the, the the Gen Z word is like chuggy, right? <laughs> we're very chuggy. <laughs> but um, I do love a good candle. I too. love a good candle. And you know, there's something amazing with scent that was scent. Um, it can do a lot of things to regulate our nervous system because, you know, 
Sent okay, mental for, health. Moment. I know. Here we. I know. Have to plug it in. <laughs> but yes, yeah, scent. It, you know, taps into our sensory experience of smell. So I love a good candle, especially when um, I have a great, great smelling candle that can either calm me down or bring up some. Um, happy memories or just some nostalgic memories. So I've got two candle companies that I want to recommend. One for our Seattle-based folks, our Seattle listeners. There is a candle company by the name of Noir Lux Candle Company, which is based in the Queen Anne neighborhood. What's really cool about this candle company is that it is a Black-owned women business, Mm. and they have pre-made small batch candles that they sell at their brick and mortar shop. They also do events at their shop as well. Cool. Which is really neat. So I would say check out their page. One thing that stood out to me about this company is that they encourage customers if they want to, to walk through the process of making your own candle. So you get to go and like see the process of what they do to make the candle. And then you get, you make your own scents, which I'm like, that's so cool. Like, So I'm a sucker for things like that, especially, you know, that's the creative aspect, right? So we should go do that together. I think we should. Yes. That'd be really fun. So check them out. And for folks that maybe aren't local, you can um, order candles from their website and then they can ship that out to you. Then, of course, I always have to do a Latina-based company plug. So in this theme of candles, there's another really, really popular up-and-coming candle company that has blown up on TikTok by the name of Lucintiera. This is a candle company that's based out of Texas um, that was initially started by this woman who was wanting to do more sustainable practicing candle making, and she took some old cups and... Uh, Mexican vessels that she started to pour a candle wax in. That's really cool. And she made 10, you know, 10 candles initially and she posted it on TikTok and she immediately sold those out and then mm. was getting flooded with demand. So now she's got this company that's going on. It's really cool. So it's made in the U- U.S. by Latinas and they purchase different vessels like cups and different little pots in Mexico to kind of support this business. So I would say go ahead and check out their website. Um, I'm looking at it right now. And of course, I'm like, every candle sold out, sold out, sold out, mm. sold out. So I was like, this is a very popular, popular company. And what's cool is they make sense that um, are very nostalgic to the Latino community. So that's so cool. I know. I, I know. That. So Yep. Go ahead. Check out these awesome women of color owned candle companies and maybe you'll find a little scent that kind of warms your heart and soothes your mind. I love it. Okay, so mine, I have a couple. So I grew up in Shoreline, which used to be part of North Seattle, but then became its own little city. But there's this lovely little co-working space called the Creativity Loft. And you and I have actually been there. You've come and visited that space with me. And it's this lovely space where mostly women, I think, are members there, Mm -hmm. but it's really open to anybody that can come in and rent time and have like a monthly membership or just rent a couple of hours, whatever you want to do to work on creative projects. And it's owned by this incredible woman named Jackie and it's a black owned business as well. Mm -hmm. And she actually created it as a response to some traumatic things that she went through in her life Mm -hmm. and then has found that art has been really healing for her and therapeutic for her Mm -hmm. in her journey. And so she created the creativity loft, which is essentially a space for other people to come and gather. And they have like 
I think they do a monthly or maybe every couple months, these maker markets Mm -hmm. where the tenants, basically the, you know, people who use that space will sell their creations. So you can get, you know, like home goods and candles Mm -hmm. and art and jewelry. And a lot of it is handmade, small batch type stuff. And so it's a great way to support the creator economy in North Seattle and Shoreline. I really love that space. I just love the vibe in Mm -hmm. there too. It's really pretty and just a really great place. So it's the creativityloft.com. And then for our non-local folks, I was trying to think about, you know, some other ways that people, because we have listeners all over the country and actually all over the world, which is another surprising factor for us. (laughs) You know, but for those folks, so Sam actually spoiled my my secret earlier. Well, it's not a secret if you know me, but I'm obsessed with killer whales. Like, Like, absolutely obsessed with orcas. Sometimes creepily obsessed. Hey, now! (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) What can I say? I grew up in the 90s. I I was into Free Willy. Willy. Free Keiko. Come on now. Totally. (laughs) I was one of those kids who was like writing letters, like gotta get free Keiko. Anyway, so there's another orca. I know you're probably wondering where why is this where is this going? going? But I'll tell you, I promise. (laughs) So there's an orca that is being held captive at the Miami Seaquarium in Florida. And she's actually a Washington based orca. They call her Lolita, but her actual her more common name, I guess, in the Pacific Northwest is Tokate. Mm-hmm. And she is considered part of the Lummy Nation, actually. Oh, okay. And so the Lummy Nation has this incredible campaign called Sacred Sea. So if you visit sacredsea.org, there's a bunch of information about it. And they have been trying for years. Now, this orc has been in captivity for like 50 years. It's incredible that she's still 50 alive. 50 years? Like five zero. Yes. Holy smokes. And if you know anything about orcas, they can live a really, really long time. Usually they don't last that long in captivity. Wow. But um, her like family pod is still here in the Puget Sound mm-hmm. and is part of an endangered pod, mm-hmm. the Southern Residence, for those of you who know anything about that. And so anyway, the Lummi Nation has been doing this incredible work, and it's led by the matriarchs of the Lummi Nation, wow. who are activists, and they're trying to raise awareness and money and, you know, just do everything they can to get Tokate home, because there's a lot of ancestral roots and mm-hmm. connections to that pod and to the orca population here in the Pacific Northwest. And so I am super passionate about this, if you can't already tell from <laughs> <laughs> my little rant here. But it would mean a whole lot to me, listeners, if you have any interest in endangered animals and just, you know, taking care of our earth, if you would go and donate and kind of support that effort to hopefully get Lolita Tokate home. Love it. So that's my other recommendation. Well, this is, you know, our last couple minutes left of the Take Back podcast. I know it's bittersweet. It is it is sad. So we just want to take these next few moments just to kind of share our final thoughts and our call to action (laughs) i'm looking at you jess (laughs) i taught you that yes you did yes you did but one of the things that's so important the whole reason why we started this podcast was to really highlight the work that needs to continue to be done regarding racial equity Mm -hmm. so please listeners i implore you please 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 do not stop thinking about and working towards racial equity Mm -hmm. i'm telling you right now this is not a phase this is not a fad it's not a trend 
which it often has felt like in the last couple of years. I feel like I'm just going to sorry to interrupt, but there's been this shift that I've noticed. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, Mm -hmm. everybody was talking about it. White people, BIPOC, you know, everybody was invested in this concept of there are these injustices that need to be changed. And then what I've noticed, what you've noticed, and we've even seen it in the data of kind of our listener. Yeah base it's fizzled out it's starting to fizzle and right. we are the ones left you know BIPOC folks are the ones left still trying to have the conversation right because we just can't walk away right this is our this is our daily experience so this is why you know I'm so glad that you brought this up because this is the reason why it's like you cannot stop mm-hmm. please don't stop having these conversations and sharing these stories and supporting people of color women of color creatives because this is our lives this mm-hmm. is something that we deal with every single day and so this is not a Brent. This is not something that we can fizzle out, right? This is not the tortoise and the hare. We don't want you guys to be the hare. We You're want such you a mom be, using that. I that know. Example. I love it. We want you to be the tortoise. Okay? Slow and steady. Slow and steady. This is a marathon. Mm-hmm. And it is so incredibly important that you continue to be intentional in the commitments to continue to embark change within these systems. Mm-hmm. So, listeners and allies, right? All of the above, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm going to encourage you guys to do is please keep supporting artists and creators of color. Yes. Please don't stop uh, supporting them. Please throw your money at them. (laughs) Yes. Give them a shout out. Give them a share. Give them a follow. Tell your family members about them. Tell your friends about them. Please, it's so important for you to do anything possible to continue to amplify their voices and their work and buying their products. Um, This is a very easy and a practical way for you to support people that are doing amazing and cool work. And if you're someone who has some level of privilege and are a contributor in the creative economy, please build racial equity within your daily business practice. Please, please, please. Be like Sam. Please be like Sam. And if you don't know how to be like Sam, Talk to Sam. I'm sure Sam, maybe if they reached out, he might have a conversation or two. I don't know. I'm looking at him and we'll tag, <laughs> he said we'll tag he, him. He gave us a thumbs up. Okay, good. So, yeah. so yes, please, please, please. I would say support, support, support. Mm-hmm. Amplify, amplify. Absolutely. And for our women of color creators, the reason that we started this podcast in the first place, if there's one thing we could say to you at the end of this podcast, it's to keep creating. Mm-hmm. Our show might be ending, but... Our story as creatives and as racial justice advocates is certainly not over and neither is yours. Mm -hmm. You still have amazing art to put out, amazing stories to tell. And despite what the world has told you or people with privilege or whatever might have told you that you don't matter or your voice doesn't matter, that is not true. And you absolutely matter. You absolutely belong. Mm -hmm. And the world needs your voice. Yes, we do. Yeah. And, you know, even though our podcast is ending, we're still going to be around. We'll be here cheering you on in our other kind of individual spaces and continuing to do this work alongside of you. And so we encourage you to keep in touch with us in our individual internet corners. Mm-hmm. In my case, you can find me at jesspalaymusic.com or jesspalaymusic on all the socials. You can follow me on Instagram, which is where I'm kind of most active, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and still not on TikTok. We'll see if that ever happens. I, I'm holding my breath <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I've tried, but I'm holding my breath. <laughs> Well, don't hold your breath because it probably I won't I think I'll, I'll pass out if I did because it's not happening. 
<laughs> exactly. And then where can people find you? Yeah, honestly, it'll be easiest for people to continue to follow me on my Instagram page at your Latina therapist. There I have my link tree, which I keep up to date with ways you can find me. For folks that are in the Seattle area that are interested in therapy, I am um, listed on Therapy Den, so you can check that out mm-hmm. as well, which is also linked in my bio on my Instagram account. Awesome. And then here's some exciting news. What? For what? our moms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Mom, are you ready? Are you ready for this one? Mothers, our mothers, you're finally getting your wish, and we're moving all of these episodes to YouTube. <laughs> gonna let that sink in. So, okay. So, if you're like, what the heck is happening right now? Our moms are technologically challenged. That's, yeah, that's a really kind way of saying it. <laughs> and they have pretty much been begging us since day one or saying things like, I tried to search for it. Why can't I find it on YouTube? Or why is it on Facebook? Well, we're sort of on Facebook, Mom, but the full the episodes, episodes are not they, on Facebook. They, just, <laughs> they could not figure out how to find the full episodes. So anyway, basically what we're going to do is we're going to archive all 14 of these episodes on YouTube because we want these stories to live on. Even if we're not in active production anymore, mm-hmm. we still want folks to be able to find this as a resource and something that might encourage them and to go on that 14 episode journey with us wherever mm-hmm. they are, whether it's tomorrow or years from now. It'll be there when you need it. And the link for that is going to be youtube.com forward slash at the Take Back Podcast. So just putting that out there. We'll have a link in the show notes as usual. I don't think we're going to get rid of our Instagram either. I don't know how active it'll be, but it'll still exist. So if you want to come back and see photos and snippets of things that we've Mm -hmm. done this season, those will continue to live on the interwebs. You want to close this out, my dear? Gosh, I'm yes. Well, I'll say this. The timing of this all, we started 2022 Mm -hmm. with the announcement of starting this podcast. Yeah. And here we are at the end of 2022. And I am so incredibly proud. Oh, my God. I'm going to start crying. So I'm so proud of the work that we've done. Me too. And thank you, listeners, for being here, for supporting us, for cheering us on. Thank you once again to our guests. My goodness, I'm just so honored yeah. with the powerhouses that we've had here. And and listeners want to speak to you guys again. Thank you guys for journeying along with us and joining us from episode one to now episode 14. Mm-hmm. And with all that to be said, ending 2022, I want to say take this time to reflect on the joys, the highs and the lows and taking a moment to think about all the intention that you want into this new year. And with that being said, have a happy, prosperous, and creative new year. Yeah. And we'll see you on the other side. Yeah. 